Well, good morning once again. Thank you so much for joining us here today, whether you're here in person or, or joining us online. Isn't it great to come together in the presence of God and worship that true living God as one? Nothing like it. Well, last week, my computer may have lost all my notes, but we did it anyway. We got through an entire chapter. Took us seven weeks to get through the previous chapter we were looking at, but last week, we made it through an entire one. That being said, we're not going to make it through an entire chapter today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 12. Last week, as we walked through 1 Thessalonians, we, we saw Paul really kind of um, commending the church. He was, he was commending them for being a true church, and in, in doing so, he really gave us a great blueprint of what the foundation of a church should look like. And if you'll remember, there were a few things that we learned. We learned that a true church is built on teamwork. It's not just built on one man or one woman, but it takes an entire team to build a church. But it's also a true church is built on Jesus. It's not built on man's ideas. It's built on Jesus Christ as being the way, the truth, and the life. It's also built with experiences of, of grace and peace because it's not built absent of turmoil. A church isn't built absent of persecution, but a church experiences grace and peace even during persecution, even during trial. We also learned that a, a true church is not lazy, right? A true church works. And a true church is made up of true believers, which are people who are a living testimony. Their lives speak of what God has done. And this morning, as we look at this passage, you need to remember that the church that we are looking at, the church there, the Thessalonians, that church was under great pressure. They were being attacked by the Jewish leaders of the day, so much so that they had forced Paul out of the city. But after Paul left, the persecution didn't stop. It continued on. And the people who were persecuting the church, they began to speak against Paul. They, they said, these new believers, you need to stop following Paul. You need to stop following his teachings. Listen, if they had a Twitter feed back then, they would be trolling the church and Paul. They'd be filling Facebook with, with garbage that wasn't true. I'm amazed at how many people today believe anything they see on social media as long as it lines up with what they want it to believe, what they want it to say. And, and the flip side of that is even if something may be true, it, maybe it's 100% true if it doesn't line up with what they want it to believe or what they want it to be, they totally ignore it and, and call it a lie. If you can't personally verify facts, facts, <laughs> not not facts from some satirical website that's made up so that you'll believe in what you want to believe or so that it's made there for you to look gullible. But if you aren't able to verify things that you read on the Internet as truth, don't share it. No matter how much you want to believe it to be true. When you share lies, it doesn't make lies truth. It doesn't really do anything but harm you and your Christian witness. All you're doing is nothing but perpetuating this cycle of falsehood. Amen? Don't do it. 
Now, last week, as we looked at a true, true church and what it should look like, but today we're going to look at what a true minister should look like, or not look like, but they should be bald-headed, <laughs> and, um, sorry, <laughs> what a... <laughs> As we look at this as what a true minister should look like, I want you to remember something I said last week. We here at Connection Point, we believe every member is a minister, amen? Because we believe everybody is called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're, we're all called to go out and share the fact that Jesus Christ came to save and to seek that which was lost. So as we read through this today... You need to read through with this understanding that these characteristics, these character traits that are describing Paul are some things that we should all have in our lives. And these traits shouldn't just show up when times are certain. These traits shouldn't just show up when times are good, when things are going our way. These are traits that we should all have even when we're faced with uncertainty, even when we're faced with persecution. In this passage, Paul is writing, he's writing to encourage and to build up the church. But before he kind of gets into that, he, he needs to push back against some of the lies that have been told against him. And he, he takes some time to remind the church what they should already know. And that everything he has done and everything that he has said is to do nothing but to bring glory to God. So if you've got your Bibles, look at verse number one there. First Thessalonians verse number one says this. For you, yourself, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now, as Paul writes this, I got to think he might have a little bit of an edge to what he's saying. You know, as he's writing, he's like, for you yourselves know that our coming was not in vain. In other words, he's saying, I can't believe I even have to say this. See, that, that word vain there, we read it in the Amplified, it says, my, my words were not useless and fruitless. That word is the Greek word kenos, which means empty without content. It means lacking in results. He's saying, my ministry didn't lack results. But you need to understand, this is not a boastful claim. He was simply reminding the people that when he was speaking, he wasn't speaking empty words that meant nothing. The words he brought was life-changing. If you remember from last week, we said that the people that were in this church were new converts to Christianity. They were people who were idol worshipers, who turned to God, and they did this through Paul preaching Jesus Christ, but they were so radically changed that they became known throughout the whole region. They knew them throughout the whole region. In fact, it says even throughout the world. They were known because they changed. They were radically different. Listen. I love a good heathen who gets on fire for Jesus, right? I mean, listen, I love old saints who have been following Jesus for 80 years, never done anything bad in their life, have always followed Jesus, but there's just something about that person who has been so far down that they finally hit rock bottom, and at the bottom, they met Jesus, you know, because there's, there's something about the fact that that person who has seen more downs than they've seen ups, that person who, who met Jesus when they were all the way at the bottom and began a new life with him as the cornerstone, those people, I love those people because they're willing to listen and they get stuff done because they've been changed. Those people remember what it is to 
what it's like to have their, their lives spiraling out of control. They remember what it was like to have everything wiped away. They remember what, what it was like when, when they've tried everything in the world to right their own ship, to only see it continuously time and time again go crashing into the shore. See, th those people who've experienced that, when they see someone else's ship headed for the rocks, they want to jump on board. And they want to help steer it to calm water. They want to introduce people to Jesus because they know he's the only one that can bring peace. There's nothing like a radical, changed heathen, one who's been set free and knows Jesus. Listen, Paul's like, my ministry wasn't in vain. It wasn't empty. You didn't, you didn't walk away empty-handed. You walked away set free and on fire for Jesus. These are the people that these are the type of people Paul's talking about right here. They were lost. They were in chains of bondage. He introduced them to Jesus and they were set free. And he's like, my ministry's not empty. It bore much fruit. Paul's ministry bore fruit, but guess what? Ours should too. In, in this, he's teaching us we need to be fruitful. And listen to me, I didn't say, he said, be fruity. There are plenty of, of Christians out there walking around with some crazy ideas. He's not saying be fruity, he's saying be fruitful. It's way different. He's saying don't allow your ministry to be empty. See, not only should you be changed by Jesus, but those people that are around you should be changed too. You ought to be speaking life into people. You ought, to be, you ought to be speaking things into people's lives that, that bring real change, not just simple, em simply empty words. So look at your life. Do you look different than before you were following Jesus? I hope so. But what about those around you? Do they look different too? Verse number two says this, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we were bold in our God speak to you, the gospel of God in much conflict. Here in this, this passage, Paul reminds them that what they are dealing with here in this city was nothing new. It wasn't their first encounter with persecution. He says, hey, right before coming to your city, I was in another city where I was persecuted. I was in a city where I preached the gospel boldly and people's lives were changed. And because lives were changed, pe people's businesses were turned upside down. Businesses that once thrived on people living sinful lives were affected. It didn't make some of the local business people very happy, though. So they came against him and they had him thrown into prison. He was eventually chased out of that city, but listen, he, he didn't stop proclaiming the gospel message. He came to this city, and he started all over again. He began to proclaim the gospel message boldly. He came to this new city and met much of the same persecution he met in Philippi. He says, but as you know, I was proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. He continued preaching that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 
He was persecuted, yet he continued speaking the gospel message. Notice he said that they were bold in their God. They were bold in God to speak. That word bold there literally means to speak publicly without fear. But he didn't say, I was bold in myself. He didn't say I was bold against those people who were, who were doing wrong to me. As, as Lexi was talking about this morning, as she, she mentioned, you know, many people, they, they come onto Facebook or social media, and, and they begin just casting just horrible words towards people. So he didn't, he didn't come out boldly proclaiming, you know, what these people were doing to him. He came out boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. He was bold about who God is and what he had done. Even in the middle of persecution, even when things didn't look certain, focus was always on God. It was always on God. It was on who he is and what he had done, what he was doing and what he would do. It was always about God. Today we have more ways to speak out publicly about God than in any other time in our history. We have more tools at our disposal, more tools to get in front of more people than we've ever had before, but unfortunately far too many times those tools are used to bring down people instead of lift God up. Why is it people feel so emboldened to speak out against people yet are fearful for speaking out for Jesus Christ. Church, we as believers are called to be bold. We're called to be bold in Jesus. We ought to be so bold for Jesus that some of the fruit of our ministry ought to be businesses that thrive on sinful lifestyles are shut down. Shut down because people are no longer going to those places because their lives are so radically changed. I'm not saying we ought to be out protesting against these businesses. That's not what Paul was that's not why he was chased out of town. He was chased out of town because he was so bold for Jesus that people's lives were changed. People were so radically transformed it impacted these businesses. What if we did the same? What if we were so bold for Jesus? I think we would see communities transformed. I, I think we would see communities where, where strip clubs would be shut down, not because we were out protesting against them, but because people's lives were so changed that there was no longer a desire to step in them. That, that liquor stores that existed on the backs of people caught up in addiction in chains would be replaced with things like health food stores because we actually cared about this, this body that is the temple of God, and we cared about what we put into it. What would happen in communities if God's people would be radically bold for Him? That they would be radically bold to stand up for injustice or for justice, against injustice. What if the body was bold for Jesus. First Thessalonians 2.3 says this, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Paul say, says three things here. He says we preach a pure gospel, 
we lived a clean life, and we did not deceive people. If we just got this one verse down, if we would just live our life like this, what a difference our lives would be. Living our life, preaching a pure gospel, living a clean life, not deceiving people. Paul spoke the truth. He didn't add to the word, and he didn't take away from it. He didn't avoid the topic of sin simply because it was unpopular. The word tells us in the last days, though, people will be looking for things that will tickle their ears. But that's not what, that's not what Paul proclaimed. We're living in those last days. People are, are searching for things that says, do whatever feels good. That message will send people straight to hell. Paul preached the truth of the gospel because it wasn't his message to change. It was God's word. He was simply the one bringing God's word to the people. The second thing he says there is, I lived a clean life. And that word for uncleanness has to do with morality. Paul was being accused of immorality. This shouldn't be a surprise, though. It was, it was prevalent in that society. I mean, immorality was, was in everything. It was a staple of, of every aspect of life, so much so it had even seeped into many of the religions of the day. But Paul is saying, listen, that's not me. That's not who I am. I've been above reproach. I haven't fallen into sinful behavior. He's saying people may be saying things about me, but they're nothing but lies. It's not true. He said, you've seen my life. You know how I've lived. Listen, there may be people speaking rumors about you that are not true. Live your life in truth regardless of the lies that they're saying. Even in the face of lies, you've got to live a life that is real. You've got to be real. You, you can't be someone different in here on Sunday than you are at the workplace on Monday. Don't be, don't be someone different than you are in here. Paul says, listen, we didn't deceive people. We were the same in every aspect of our life. In other words, Paul was not a preacher or a person that said, do as I say, not as I do. Paul was living his life the same way every day of the week. We should be the same. We should be people who proclaim Jesus in here, but also out there. We should be people who say we, we put our trust in Jesus in here and then live it out out there. Listen, falling into sin, though, is not something that that is something that we have to um, that we can say, listen, it would never happen to me. Paul even addresses this in first Corinthians when he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, listen. You've got to pay attention. Don't get so prideful and say it could never happen to me. But if you put your trust in Jesus, if you listen to that still small voice that is the Holy Spirit that lives within you, if you pay attention to that, the Word says He will always provide a way and escape from temptation. doesn't say that temptation will not come. But see, Paul didn't, he didn't yield the temptation. 
He lived a life that was pure. He didn't didn't proclaim a a deceitful gospel because he didn't didn't deceive people by, by saying one thing when he stood in front of people and living a life that was different. We're living in a day when we see many prominent people of faith fall into sin. Live a life of truth. Be transparent. Live a life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that is the same life you proclaim in here on Sunday. Live pure. Don't live a life of double standards. The only standard is the Word of God. It's the plumb line that we must live our life by. Paul preached a pure gospel, and he lived a pure life. We've got to do the same. Verses 4 and 5 say this, But as, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetedness. God is witness. People don't often want to hear about sin, nor do they want to hear about judgment. But listen, sin leads to death. And there is a day of judgment coming. We do nobody any good by pretending that it does not exist. To only speak of prosperity, to only speak of of worldly wealth, it may draw a crowd, but it has no eternal value. In fact, it may just push people into eternal separation. Paul said we spoke not as pleasing men, not with flattering words. We told people without Jesus, they were utterly helpless. Without Jesus, they could not be saved. He said we only sought to please God. That's all that matters in the end, right? I mean, you can say things that are that are pleasing to men. You can you can speak flattering words and and you'll you'll draw people around you with that. But what good does it do them if you're not willing to speak the truth? It was God who trusted him with the gospel. It's God who knows his heart and it's God who will judge him. So it is God that he needed to please. He couldn't change the message. It's not his message to change. His responsibility was to God. See, man had an opinion of Paul. But Paul would stand before God in the face of eternity. And Paul said, we didn't use it as a cloak for covetedness. What that means is, is they weren't preaching so that they could get something out of it. That wasn't his reason for preaching. See, some were accusing Paul of preaching out of greed. That was he, he was only doing it so that he could make money. He's saying, you know the truth. You know that's not true. He's saying, but, but regardless of the truth, God knows. God is the witness. People may say things about you that are not true. You may even have seen some of those things written on social media that are not true. I can't imagine 
being a, a young person today, I mean, just, you know, 20 years ago, social media didn't exist. You know, if, if you faced a bully back in the day, you faced them, right? I mean, they may have, people may have passed a note talking about you, and it may have got around to 10 or 12 people, but now someone can post something, it'll get around to 10 or 12 million people. I can't imagine what that must be like. But we can't live our lives just trying to please the people who are going to say lies about us anyway. You've got you to gotta live your life in, in the knowledge that God knows the truth about you. And don't live your life trying to, to just please people who will turn their back on you in a moment's notice. Remember, God knows your heart. He knows how you're living. Verse number six says, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He's saying, listen, we had a right to demand from you, but we didn't do it. He, he wasn't preaching to draw a crowd. He was preaching the truth so that those who would hear and who would respond would be saved. He wasn't trying to be insta-famous. This is in the time that, that predates Instagram. Today, everybody wants to, wants to be famous. Every, everybody wants a following. He wasn't out there trying to grow a, fo- a following so that he could be lifted up. He was simply about lifting up the name of Jesus the name by which man may be saved. See, Paul walked in humility, and in that, he's teaching us to do the same. He's saying, listen, you need to live your life being humble. You need to remember, no matter what talents you have, your talents were a gift of God. No no matter what blessings you have in your life, your, your blessings are from God. Every good gift comes from the Father in heaven. So remember, for every good thing in your life, always point back to God. When, when people come up to you and, 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 and say, what a great job you did, that's great, and, and it's okay to receive that. But remember, the talent you have to, to do whatever it is that someone's applauding you for is nothing but a gift of God, and the glory belongs to Him. Don't become prideful and and boastful. Walk in humility. The world has enough people pointing to themselves. The world needs some people who will point them to Jesus. Verses 7 and 8 say this. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. When speaking and living boldly for Jesus, there's something you got to remember. Paul says we were gentle. See, sometimes people take speaking boldly as meaning speaking critically or, or or demeaning in our speech. But, but he's saying we were gentle, gentle as a nursing mother. In other words, as a, as a small child that is still nursing, doesn't know right from wrong, 
mother doesn't allow the child to go on without correction, she'll see wrong, but she brings correction in a loving way. He's saying we were gentle. See, a, a, a loving mother doesn't fly off the handle in a fit of rage. She cares for the child in a way only a mother can. And Paul's saying, that's what we did with you. Church, when, when we interact with people, especially people who are young in the faith, we got to do it with a tender heart. We got to show affection and love people. We got to do it like a, a mother who holds her newborn baby close to her heart. Paul's saying, even in the midst of all the turmoil, even in the midst of all that was going around on, even during this persecution when, when these outside people were coming against us and coming against the church, we still loved you. We still cared for you. We weren't harsh towards you. See, I was still proclaiming the gospel, but I was doing it with gentleness. Paul is instructing us to do the same. He's saying, listen, you've got to be gentle with people. I'm not saying you, you condone sin. That's not what Paul is saying here. I'm saying this. Understand this. People are, who are new to the faith may look a little different than somebody who's following, followed Jesus for 40 years. They may look a little different. Be gentle with them. Encourage them. Love them. And keep pointing them to Jesus. Verse number 9 says this. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. We saw this in chapter 1 where we said that the, the church works. Paul's saying right here, listen, I work hard. I didn't come in and lay around. I wasn't lazy. I didn't come in, lay around expecting you to do for me. He says, listen, I wasn't a burden to you and to the people there. In fact, it doesn't mention it here, but we, we read in, in other writing that the church at Philippi actually helped to support Paul in his ministry. He, they were, that was why he was able to go into places like Thessalonica and bring the gospel message to a hurting people. Just like I mentioned earlier today, when there's... There's organizations like Operation Blessing or Convoy of Hope or, or Good Works. When you are supporting organizations like that, you're enabling people like Pastor Toby to go into a place where hope has been diminished, where things look dark. And, and, and you're enabling them to, to provide. To, you're, you're, you're giving them the tools that they need to go into these places and do something tangible. So that, so that the people aren't left empty-handed, but, but they're, they're giving things to meet immediate needs. When you give to organizations like that, you're helping them to carry out the work that God has called them to do. Paul said, listen, I worked. I worked day and night. Paul didn't punch a time clock. People today are clock watchers, though. They are. I remember years ago, I mean, this is 25 plus years ago now. I used to, people were still doing it. They were doing it then, too. I, w I managed a Shoney's, and I could remember people would stand at that time clock. They would 
If they were supposed to be there at 5 o'clock, they would get there at 5.07. Hit that time clock because seven minutes after the hour is the same as being there at five minutes till the hour. 5.07, they'd be there clocking in. They were supposed to get off at 10, 9.53, they would be there clocking out. Gaining an extra 15 minutes a day, watching the clock. Clock watchers. Maybe that's you in your daily life. Maybe you're looking at the clock every day, looking for 5 o'clock. I can't wait for 5 o'clock to get here. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. You don't get off. You don't get to punch a clock. You're always on duty. The only clock you ought to be watching is the one that's about to turn midnight. Because it's almost time for the king to come. You got to be working. You got to be working. When the king returns, you need to be working. I want to be found on the job when he comes back. I want to be found getting after it, getting something done. I want to be out hustling. I want to be going for it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found napping. When, when he comes, I don't want him to say, didn't you see that opportunity? Didn't you see those hurting people? Didn't you see those people who didn't know me? I want to be found going after it and working. Verse number 10 says this, you are my witnesses, and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who have believed. Right here, he just reiterates what he's been saying. He's, li he's like, listen, our lives speak for itself. You've seen how devote we are in our service to God. You've seen how we lived. We didn't say one thing and do another. And that's how we should live our lives. We should live our lives where, where we could say, you are our witnesses and God also. So that there's no question. Verse number 11, he says, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children saying, listen, we treated you like our kids. We encouraged you. When things were rough, we comforted you. We set you in the right direction. We charged you. So what were they really doing here? Weren't they just discipling people? Isn't that what that says? This is part of work. But it's, a, it's not just work in areas of our life. It's, it's a little more than that. It's coming along someone, side of someone, bringing them with you along the journey. It's teaching them. It's training them. It's encouraging them. When you see someone fall, it's reaching down and picking them up. When you see someone in need, it's meeting that need. Timothy 
discipled them, and then they discipled others. And isn't that Jesus' charge to us? Go into all the world, making disciples, saying, listen, you got to be discipling. We got to go and, and not just not just give words, but to show people, show people how to live. All throughout this passage, Paul is referring back to how he was living his life. And he's also saying, you were witnesses. In other words, he wasn't doing it outside of where people couldn't see. He was doing it alongside of people so that he could say, you were our witnesses. People witnesses witnessed the life that he was living. That only happens when people are close to you, when they see how you really live. That's how Jesus discipled people. He brought people alongside of him. He walked with them, did ministry with them. They ate together. They walked together. They prayed together. He says, listen, we were like a father to you. Though we may have brought words of correction, though we may have give you words of warning, we also reminded you of the hope in the future the hope that you have in Jesus. Then he finishes this part of the passage with verse number 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He said that's what it's all been about. Right there. He spends 11 verses basically saying, listen, we didn't do it for our own self. We didn't do it so that we could be lifted up. We didn't do it so that we could earn. We didn't, we didn't do it. No matter what people say about us and why we were doing it, we didn't do it for any of those reasons. We did it for this. This right here, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Everything that we have done was for you. What, what he's saying here is, is a true minister, a, a true minister is about bringing others along. It's about living a life that is above reproach. It's about pointing people to Jesus. It's working hard. It's being humble. It's loving people like a mom and a dad. But listen to me. Being a true minister requires you to be faithful. To be faithful in all areas of your life. Being faithful to the body of believers that you've been called to. Being faithful to your calling. Being faithful to living a life that is holy and blameless before the Lord. Peter tells us this. Because it is written holy for I am holy our calling our charge is to walk every day in him our charge is to share the gospel message and not just in words but in a life that declares its truth so that people could look to our lives 